0: Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University.
1: You have to look at all the different signals and from the right kind of lens, because like I said, again, different people prefer different modalities for how they want to interact with the company. So we have to solve for all those things. And then, like I said, look across all those different modalities and the experiences with those and how do we improve those?
0: I know I should, and I typically do read a couple of things, but unless they're giving me an instant resolution to the problem that i've got i tend to go i'm just not doing it anymore i'm going to contact the company in some way
1: don't be afraid to try a proof of concept build a pilot create and build something that you have to go show the business and and really kind of whet their appetite of what is possible
0: So, good news everybody. Ryan's not here. Woohoo! We can have a party. Really good news is that this week we have uh, Michelle Hunick on the on the line with us. Hi Michelle. Hello. Michelle is the transformation leader for customer experience and success at Microsoft. She's spent her her life in customer-centric roles and in the last 10 years she's focused at Microsoft on customer experience transformation. Michelle is a director who leads the Global Advanced Analytics and Data Science Organization, and she's part of the CX Network's International Advisory Board. And the reason I've asked Michelle to come on the show today was I attended a CX Network event and heard Michelle speak about what she'd been doing in Microsoft. And there's nothing like a good practitioner to come on the show and talk a bit about uh, what she's been doing and how this whole area that I've been banging on about to do with customer science is sort of manifesting itself. So thanks very much, Michelle, for agreeing to come on the show. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, Colin, and Happy New Year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the main thing. And hopefully COVID-free New Year by the end of the end of the year. Fingers yes. crossed anyway.
1: Knock on wood.
0: Absolutely. So, Michelle, perhaps you could explain what you've been doing. I said to you pre-show that I've been talking about this whole area of customer science, which if you've been in a darkened cave while listening to this podcast, you'll know that my view is that customer science is sort of three bits, which is AI, data, and behavioral science, and those three bits coming together. I'm always interested in how organizations are applying that so what are you doing in microsoft and how does that help improve the customer experience
1: so I love how you talk about customer science in that way. And and that's definitely the world that I live in. And really what my organization is focused on is how do we move our customer experience agenda or transformation to move to a more connected customer experience through novel data-fueled solutions? So really in that world of AI and ML and leveraging all the amount of data that we have about that end-to-end life cycle of a customer, and how do we focus on not just, you know, the old days, it was really being more proactive with customers. And now it's moving more into the world of being more predictive and even prescriptive and really empowering our people with the right information to really help us excel in that transformation.
0: You said a really important word there, which I want to emphasize, because I think that this is where it really is going. And that is predictive, to be able to predict what the customer's going to do next, I think is so key, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And I think those are even the customer's expectations. As we um, as we go along in our customer experience journey, we all know that customers' expectations are increasingly higher. No matter what type of company that they interact with, they have these expectations of what that experience should look like. So it really is starting to get ahead of even before a customer even knows there is a problem that we are making that prediction based on really key signals that we look at. And so we empower agents to enable them to get in front of the customer before they even know that there's a problem. And that really just plays into the whole building trust, not meeting, but also excelling on customer expectations and also helping us look back and start to really understand the trends of where are these moments of higher customer effort or friction within that end to end experience of that customer. And that's really powerful to take back to the business to really drive those much needed transformational changes changes. So
0: how do you go about predicting customer experience then? Can you talk us through it?
1: Yeah, I'll give you um, a specific example of uh, a solution that we created um, this last fiscal year where it was really predicting when a case was going to become what we call at risk. So what we look at is different signals across the support experience. As an example, as a a customer's been transferred too many times, they get to the wrong agent, they have a delay in a response or they're in a queue for too long. We look at kind of all these different signals that tell us us that this is heading into the wrong direction for this customer. And then it flags that to the agent. The agent can then step in and one has a view of what has the customer experienced and gone through so far to this moment. And then now I'm empowered with that information on their overall journey and experience. And I can proactively step in and get this before it becomes either an escalation or a crisis. So we've been really able to reduce a lot of the amount of escalations, which are painful for customers and also expensive and costly for Microsoft, by getting better about predicting those higher risk cases and flagging and empowering the business with that information.
0: That's, again, a really good point because I've never been involved in a improving customer experience without saving money. It's just surprising how the two always go hand in hand because if you do a bad experience, then it ends up costing the organization much more money and people don't seem to always make that connection between the two. How did you identify what those touch points were? So, you know, you mentioned somebody coming in, obviously, if they've come in multiple times. Are there any of those other experiences that would be flags for you or irritations that would be flags for you that says this is something that we need to focus on?
1: A lot of things. So the data can tell us so much of that information. And so we we start with looking through the data to see what are the, the common triggers that we are seeing our are- seem to be root causes of an escalation, as an example. So as someone who's maybe had multiple prior support cases, someone who's hasn't had a response to email, or they they hit a certain threshold of email exchanges with an agent, as an example. But then we're starting to bleed out into bigger areas. Right now we're working on customer effort and really starting to identify what are the different signals that we want to look at as we build this model that help us really predict the amount of effort a customer it's taking to get something done. So think about Microsoft.com, customers on our page. Are they clicking through a lot of self help articles? Are they actually reading the articles? Are they just clicking and then we can see how long they stay on a page? That tells us if those articles are helping them or not. So we can look at all this different types of the amazing amount of data that we have to create the different signals and then identify what are the different critical signals that we think in that experience are the key touch points that drive dissat that we should focus on. Um, and when we start to pull those together and even look at if, and, if, and, you know, going on. So they've had X amount of exchanges, they've had this, they start to type something about the, the way they're feeling. Uh, we look at sentiment. So all these different drivers and signals that really help us get even better about how we predict when something is going in the wrong direction.
0: And is that then put into sort of the machine learning of well, once we've you've identified those things, therefore we now need to train the machines to do
1: that automatically so there's a there's a lot of things that happen after that. you bring up a good point because you can create and build a lot of amazing models that do a lot of prediction or tell us a lot of great information about a customer experience. But the next part is the most important, getting that model actually into production out in the business and then doing that change management with the business to leverage that information. So as an example, when we created what we called cases at risk, that was essentially a power BI that we put within the tools that the agents are already at, meet them where they're at. Um, But there was a whole training and element of change management that we had to drive of now that they are empowered with this information, what do they do next? And so that's really important where we partner with the business to ensure that we're taking it past just building the model and being able to predict, but then we're able to improve that model over time and get better and better about those predictions and the precision of those models. But the most important piece, I think, with anything in the the world of AI and data science ML is really then partnering with the business to then go do something with that information or that solution. And that's the piece that I find is probably the biggest mountain to climb. It's establishing and those partnerships and really getting the business on board really from the get-go, from ground zero, as you're starting to build these out. So it can be integrated, like I said, into the tools that agents are using and doing that change management on the business side.
0: What would be some of the challenges around that then?
1: Ooh, it's a long list, Colin. Uh, (laughs) You know, it could be, sometimes it's bandwidth. If you think about, I mean, when we rolled out the cases at risk solution, that was to about 10,000 customer success account managers. And that was about a six month process of training the field, helping them understand the data, what kind of information they were getting, et cetera. Um, And so that was really, uh, you know, lockstep with the business and really kind of co-creating that together. But right now, what my team is working on is we're kind of flipping the script a little bit and trying to be more proactive in the solutions that we build and offer So think about almost like data science as a service where we are we're looking proactively at the data and identifying where we see a lot of pain points in the business and building and solving reusable models that can build for one solve for many and that way we start to build out a solution library where the business is actually coming to us so that's the that's the direction we're headed and where we're trying to go so we'll have to figure out how we best partner with the business but a lot of the blockers typically are time resourcing money other launches happening within the business you know so many different factors that can really impact if the business is ready to take what you build and and really leverage it in the right way
0: sounds like all the usual suspects doesn't it? really right <laughs> Today, 67% of customers prefer self-service over speaking to a company representative, and that is set to increase. Given the clear preference for digital channels and the increasing use of AI, how are you going to convert from resolving customer queries from phone to digital? I am speaking at the CX Network live event on customer service between the 29th and 31st of March, 2022. To register and attend for free, please go to bit.ly backslash CXN service. That's bit.ly backslash CXN service. That's bit.ly backslash CXN service. You'll see the link in the show notes. Look forward to seeing you there. Part of the thing that I've been talking about has been around, uh, or I end up talking about, is around the way that data gets interpreted. It's really how you're looking at it. My question is around understanding the difference between what customers say and what they do. Okay. The classic example I always use is that Disney know that when they ask customers what they want to eat at a theme park, Disney know that people say they want to have an option of a salad. But Disney also know that people don't eat salads at theme parks, they eat hot dogs and hamburgers. So if you're looking at the data after everyone's been at the theme park, you can see that you've got 50 million salads in stock and everybody else is buying hamburgers, basically. But I guess my question is around, how do you try to look through the data and interpret that from a more behavioral perspective. Does that make sense? Rather than just what customers may be telling you, because what they may tell you and what they do uh, can be different things. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I think, you know, we see a big evolution of that, because if you think historically, at least at Microsoft and with a lot of tech companies across the industry, it was very survey based. Here's what the customers telling us in the survey or how they're responding. And that was our biggest signal of how satisfied a customer really is. But the data oftentimes tells us something very different. And so I think it's really getting under the hood and really digging deeper into that data to see all those different touch points across that end-to-end experience with that customer tells us a lot more information on how that overall experience was. I mean, you you and I have had situations where you maybe have an experience with a company and you get a survey at the end and you say, oh yeah, it was fine. You know, you give it a a whatever, a five star. But there could have been a lot of improvements along that path before you got to that survey where there's opportunities for improvements. And so I think that the more that we have a a better holistic picture of the end-to-end life cycle and we look a lot closer at the data on very specific touch points, it's a lot more telling. And just, Empowers us in a much more powerful way. So, let
0: me give you an, another example then that may help. As you were saying about looking at a page on Microsoft, wherever it may be, and you're going through the help pages, I was thinking to myself, yeah, I don't like doing that. I know I should, and I typically do read a couple of things, but unless they're giving me an instant resolution to the problem that I've got, I tend to go, I'm just not doing it anymore. I'm going to contact the company in some way. All right. And there is a question leading up to all of this. Just bear with me. (laughs) But the point I guess I'm trying to make is this. One is there is something there about segmentation. Okay. Because I also know that some of my colleagues would spend two hours. My son would read the bloody things for two hours before he contacted anybody. But I would tend to reach out to somebody to ask for the resolution. But going back to the point I was trying to make to you was if you said to me, did you read, did you go on to look at the self-help? My answer would be, yeah, I did. But you know what? I only read one of them as opposed to spending a lot of time doing it. So the, the, the point I'm trying to make is in that case, the data would show, I guess, that I had only done it once and my son had done it for, you know, read 400 articles. But we may both say to you, yes, we looked at them. The difference between the interpretation of me saying, yeah, I've looked at the self-help, but either I haven't or I haven't done it enough or well enough. But somebody else could say the same who has done it, that your data would show physically that I've only done it once and somebody else has done it. 30 times to to overcome that issue. And I guess I'm just wondering how you look at that because that sort of says to me, actually, it's more important to look at what the customer did rather than what the customer tells you.
1: Definitely. And I think as you are talking, the thing I thought about is we have to, I saw something recently called digitize for all generations. And if you think about that, it could be a generational thing or just a, a self-preference of what modality do you like to interact with a, a company? Some people never want to pick up the phone. Some people, my parents only want to pick up the phone. Some people love to have um, a, a knowledge management database where they can just self-help and they. Never never have to interact with the company. So we have to look and solve for experiences across all those modalities. And then in addition to that, make it seamless or omni-channel when they're switching across all those different modalities. So it gets complex because you may have only clicked on a couple articles. Your threshold for self-help articles is low compared to maybe your son who would invest all day looking at those different articles. So we do have to consider those things in the data. I think what we see, though, is if as an example with articles, if we just see a particular article is being opened and immediately closed, we it, that's very telling to us that this article is obviously not hitting the mark and it's time to reevaluate that. And so you have to look at all the different signals and from the right kind of lens, because like I said, again, different people prefer different modalities for how they want to interact with the company. So we have to solve for all those things And then, like I said, look across all those different modalities and the experiences with those and how do we improve those and get better about connecting all those experiences so it's very seamless. Well, I think of the biggest opportunity for not just Microsoft, but I think all companies is how do we break down all those silos across all those experiences to really create that seamless, connected customer experience so that traditionally you could be trying to go through self-help articles. Maybe you get into a chat, you finally get on a phone, but you're retelling your situation or your story, your experience every single time to that next person that you engage with. And how do we remove all that for the customer? And that's where we got to really invest and focus in on empowering our people with the right tools, with the right data and information and so we can start to get better across those different modalities and meet the customers where they where they are and where they want to engage with us.
0: That makes a lot of sense. In, in fact, I was I was doing some reading up on some old CRM articles, believe it or not, from 20 years ago where it was talking about silos being the problem with CRM implementations. And as we all know, the problems with customer experience implementations is silos. And by the sounds of it, the problem that customer science is gonna have as well is silos. I know it's a, a big issue. And that sort of goes into talk a little bit about, I guess from an adjacent point, is segmentation. Have you managed to crack that that sort of conundrum of, as you were just talking about there, of either demographic segmentation, i.e., you know, I'm of a certain age, my son's of a certain age, and therefore there's going to be some sort of generic differences. But I'm then thinking about sort of more behavioral segmentation. So I'm quite technical, but I know I've got friends that aren't technical whatsoever and then when you look at it from that more behavioral side of things how would you apply segmentation to this type of issue
1: Mm. You know, it's not a nut that we've cracked and we're doing different variations of that as as we look through. Again, I think it goes back to how do we leverage all the information that we do have about a customer and all the data that we are able to capture to help us better understand those different types of behavior and then start to look at all the different segmentations of that. Is it a, a geographical thing? Is it a demographic? You know, there's so many different elements of that. Some of the ways that we're doing it. So we have it. I think that's a, um, a space that eventually we will get to as we slowly so, creep by our way there. We're doing things I think about as an example of more internally, I think, to help with some of that. As an example, getting skills-based routing. So how do we get better and smarter about the proficiency of an agent or the type of skill set that they excel at? So we are putting the right agent with the right customer at the right time. And so, you know, hey, we can look at the data and say, well, this customer prefers, has a tendency in their experience, we can see that they prefer to be on a call and they've called in multiple times with an Azure issue. And so we can see, okay, we really need someone who's proficient in Azure. And so how do we leverage data science and all that incredible amount of data that we have on this customer's end to end journey and apply that. So again, we're putting and connecting them with the right person at the right time with the right skill set, because there's nothing worse as a customer than to get on the phone explain your problem and then be told, oh, I can't help you. Let me get you someone else. And then you got to go back through that process. So how do we alleviate that? And again, that goes back to breaking down all those silos, even obtaining the data so we can see the whole end to end journey. And we can start to see the trends and the preferences that this specific customer has. So we can really kind of Cater the experience to them and really personalize it, and that's a that's a lot. That takes a lot of work on the back end of really partnering with the business, aligning the tools, making that data available, and pulling that data together in the right way that will enable us to do that. And we just aren't there yet, but that's definitely where we directly where we want to go.
0: No, good. Certainly, the way that that I I see it would be that. If you've started to create these, you know, you've understood the critical signals, which I think is is clearly really good. You've started to under, understand those, you could start doing segmentation of that. If those things are therefore put into AI, you can virtually end up with like a dynamic segmentation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. In other words because you've understood the signals and those signals may change by different segment and because all of that is now automated, and, I, and I'm now not suggesting you do this tomorrow, by the way, uh, but, I mean, this is something for the where I would see it going, basically. Because that is then automated through AI, machine learning, etc. the system would virtually be able to dynamically segment people So you would have six or seven different segments, but the customers would end up changing virtually automatically uh, across those different segments because their behavior may change, which is where I I think the whole area of AI and data and everything else just becomes so exciting because it it starts to automate all those things and goes back to that keyword that you used earlier – which is to be able to predict what the customer is going to do next. And then for me, the, the really exciting part is to become, and again, it sounds like you're touching on some of this, which is provide a proactive experience. So doing something for the customer before they even sort of recognize themselves that they needed it done. So you're being much more proactive with them than reactive.
1: Absolutely. And I think that that's the power of really of uh, data science. It's the that personalization and being more proactive, being able to really just show the customer that you understand their pain points and tailoring your service to to really suit them in the right way. And that really is going to drive trust and loyalty. And so that's the power of data science and, and definitely directionally where we're where we're trying to get to. So once we can crack that nut and, and really solve for that, it, it really will be powerful. And that's, that's where we, we have a lot of work to do to get there, but we're definitely on our way. Good.
0: Last question. What advice would you give to a listener? So if you were somebody that was just starting down this path, you've clearly been going down this path for some time. What key practical advice would you give someone?
1: Ooh, I think there's often a misconception that it takes a lot of people and a lot of money. If I think about, you heard me talk about cases at risk and where we're predicting if a case is going to escalate. That was done with three people, no funding. And it was really just digging in and researching in the data and seeing issues and signals and building something and then going out and kind of socializing that to the business to really make it into something. And so I think it's don't be afraid to try a proof of concept, build a pilot, create and build something that you have to go show the business and, and really kind of wet their appetite of what is possible. I think that is, I would say, you know, be able to try and fail and learn and iterate and try again and and don't think that it takes a big, huge data science team and and a bunch of funding to have really big scale impact that you really can get scrappy and and try some things out and really create something as a proof of concept to take to the business and partner with them. And then I'll also say on the flip side of that is the importance of having that relationship and partnership with the business and really understanding what are the pain points that they experience in their business. And maybe there are areas that they they don't have it on their priority list now, but they know it's a pain point. And those are the areas that you could lean in and really try and go focus on to see if you can come up with something from nothing, so to speak. And so that's my advice is, you know, don't be afraid to try something and it doesn't take a lot of big investments, just time and passion and, you know, willingness to try some new things and really uh, that passion for really making change, transformative change to the customer experience.
0: Really good advice, and certainly, again, our regular listeners will know that we talk about trying and failing things, you know, trying, and if it fails, it fails, but at least you tried, and at least you know that that doesn't work. And I think the other important thing you just said is the passion thing, you know, just that's the thing that gets us up in the mornings, isn't it, and keeps us going during the day.
1: Absolutely. Deep in the DNA, I can't can't help myself, but yeah, I think, you know, we all have customer experiences of our own and you know a good one from a, a bad one. And so you bring that passion into what we do and knowing that there's so many opportunities to really improve the customer experience and, and that's what that's what they pay us for. So definitely passionate about it.
0: Well, Michelle, thanks very much for coming on the show. Always good to hear from a, a true practitioner. Thanks very much for uh, coming on the show and sharing your thoughts, it's been really good.
1: Thank you, Colin. I appreciate the opportunity and great talking with you today. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers.
0: This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.